As we come to this story that we've traced through those first chapters of Luke's gospel, the obvious question for every one of us is, what does all this mean? After all, we've heard of mysterious visitors from heaven, multiple angels with messages. We've heard of prophetic announcements, songs that bursted forth out of Zechariah and Mary, unexpected pregnancies, two of them, one from a barren woman and one from a virgin. We've heard of muted tongues that suddenly broke forth into praise, and then we suddenly have a league of angels, an army of angels that's announcing the praises of God, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to men. And it is all of that strangeness that is very important for us to note this evening because it is the strangeness that is to awaken us. It is the foreignness of the circumstances that are to alert us that God is attempting to grab our attention. That something unusual is taking place. Yes, something unparalleled in the history of the world. Something unique is here before us. And when the angels do sing their song of glory to God in the highest, they are announcing that the glory of God in the heavens rules supreme. And then that he is establishing in his glory peace on earth for men. And it is this peace that's important for us to consider and to focus on. Because typically when we think of peace, we think of the absence of conflict. Or perhaps we think of coexistence. Or perhaps we just think of a ceasefire. But in the Bible, peace has a much more profound and comprehensive sense to it. In the Bible, when we talk about peace, we are talking about a notion of wholeness. It is a wholeness of life where absolutely every part of our being is integrated fully in a relationship with God, in a relationship with other people, in the relationship with ourself, in relationship with the physical world that God has made. You see, when we have peace, we rightly relate to God. We're free from any stain of guilt. We're free from any half-heartedness. We're fully in communion with Him. That's the first part of what peace looks like. When we have peace, we also share in a harmony with other people around us. There is no relational strain or tension. When we have this peace and this wholeness, we also rightly relate to the world around us. And we relate rightly to ourselves, that we ourselves are not divided. Our will and what we actually do are not opposed to one another. And so put simply... When the Bible speaks of peace and when the angels announce that peace has come to the earth, this is the way things are supposed to be. It's speaking of the world that God intended for human beings to enjoy and which was then corrupted by our rebellion against God. And so this evening as we look at that peace, as we weigh what it is, it is very easy for us to discern that that's not the world that we live in. That the world we live in, that peace has been thoroughly corrupted. That we do not share in it. That our primary experience of life in this world, perhaps though we have echoes of this peace, that we taste it in some small way, but our experience of life in this world is one of fracture. We know the brokenness of, of the world. We know the sadness, the grief, and the sorrow. And that belongs to all human beings, Christian or not. We all share in that grief, in that suffering, and in that sadness. That things are not the way they're supposed to be. God intended something very different. 
But it is into all of that brokenness, all that sorrow, all of that sadness that this word of peace is announced. That God is doing something to affect that. That he's going to undo something that happened inside of the creation. And that's what all the strangeness of the story in Luke 1 and in Luke 2 is pointing to. That something unique, something unprecedented is taking place here in front of us. And this is what is unique about the Christian faith. The uniqueness of our faith is simply to understand that God is doing something to intervene. That God is doing something on behalf of us in order to bring about this condition of peace. And in Luke chapter 2, we find that captured in one simple word. It's a word no doubt familiar to many of you. It's the word gospel or good news. You find it in verse 10 of chapter 2. The angel comes and announces good news for all the peoples that a Savior has been born in the town of Bethlehem. The word good news is simply the same word as gospel, and it's important to understand the background of that term because the word gospel is one that was particularly used in the Roman Empire. When the Roman emperor had something important happen inside of his family or on behalf of the empire, a gospel was published. A gospel would be sent out to proclaim a royal victory announcing that a big victory had been won against an enemy, and that was called a gospel, announcing that event. Or perhaps a gospel would be announced when a son or a daughter was born to the emperor. Good news would be sent out to everyone that an heir had been born. And then when we find ourselves in the world of the New Testament, God provocatively uses the word gospel. It's a royal announcement. It's a declaration that God has intervened. You see, a gospel is not a suggestion. It's not a good religious technique that you can use to center yourself. The Bible doesn't consider that to be good news. It's also not a good thought. It doesn't teach you just to find the silver lining inside the gray cloud. It's not good instruction just about how to have a life of integrity. Though the Bible has things to say about each of those things, the primary message of the Bible is not about how to pull your life together. It's about this intervention that has taken place. That God has announced good news, that he's intervening to do something on our behalf to restore the peace that was fractured when we turned against him. And the peace that comes into the world is found in those swaddling cloths in a manger. There he is. He comes to identify with, with us in all of our pain and sorrow. He fully identifies with us in every way, the author of Hebrews says. But yet he's without sin. He doesn't share in that part of our experience. He offered himself up for us to take away sin's condemnation. He was the one qualified to do so. And through him, God has made peace by the blood of the cross. That is the way God affects the peace that we're lacking. He comes to bring this wholeness to us, that we would taste it in this life, and yet we fully await it. For when Jesus returns, tonight we do celebrate a first advent, one that took place some 2,000 years ago. But we anticipate a second advent, the return of Jesus, in which wholeness 
will break out into creation in which we'll no longer be divided in ourselves, that we'll no longer have relational strife with family and friends, that we'll no longer have this alienation from God with this guilt and shame and half-heartedness, that wholeness will characterize his creation. That is what's happening here in Luke chapter 1 and 2. Yes, a story that we're all familiar with, but one of cosmic consequences. And this is why the angel choirs, and this is why the shepherds, and this is why all the prophecies are piling in together to say one thing, that good news has come. Jesus Christ has been born, and the world is profoundly changed. The peace of God has broken out. And friends, this is the gift that we celebrate tonight. And so let's give thanks to God for it, and let's enter into that gift by faith, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who's gone before us. He experienced, even in infancy, all the weakness of our condition, and he enters into the cross and then overcomes death on our behalf. And so let's approach him in prayer this evening.